If he wasn't my brother, I'd want him as my friend, and I believe we would be good friends. I love this family. This is the bunch that really helped Christy and Piper get through college, and we, they wouldn't have gotten through college without this bunch. And uh, But I, I mention that because um, Mike and I, after he was born, he, his early years, he may not even remember this, we had a family. Can, this is a little bit hot for me, Ken. Um, we had a family gathering regularly, and uh, it was a family activity. And it was watching TV together. Now, that was back when you could watch TV together in the early 60s. And my dad, just to be clear with you, my dad had a, kept the remote control. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, Brother Jerry. TVs didn't have remote controls back in the 60s. My dad did. I was the controller, and he was the one that was remoting it. Son, <laughs> change it to 7, change it to 13, change it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But my dad was firmly in control. One of the shows that we watched during that time was a show, was a TV series based on World War II uh, situations called Combat, starring Vic Mara. Does anybody remember that? Okay, now everybody's old that remembers that, okay? The situation of combat was this. There was a small platoon of soldiers, American soldiers, in Nazi Germany, and they were given an assignment, a mission. Back the first time I ever heard the word mission was on that show. They were given a mission each week to go and take care of. Invariably, at least one time in that hour-long show every week, they would run up into what was called a machine gun nest. Now, a machine gun nest in Nazi Germany, by the way, was a very real thing in World War II and not just a made-for-TV issue, was where where those Germans went in and either dug out a bunker or cleared out a house, and they put all their provisions in there, everything that they would need for nourishment. Then they would put their ammunition, explosives, and their weapons in there, and they literally controlled the ground around them, and it cost many Americans their lives in World War II. This morning, I want us to think about that machine gun nest. I want you to keep that thought of that machine gun nest in your mind. And we're going to talk in spiritual terms about Satan's machine gun nest. The Bible calls it strongholds. Go ahead, Alicia. The Bible calls it strongholds. We're going to talk this morning about strongholds. Hold that thought for a second because I think it's important for us to put everything. You know, I used to hate this uh, um, term in school, comprehensive or cumulative. Many here missed the message last week. And I want to remind you of what we talked about last week because it's very important for every one of us. If we are going to be a healthy church, we have to have a church that's filled with healthy believers. Healthy spiritual believers. None of us want to run around sick physically. So I would say to you that probably none of us want to run around sick spiritually. On the board behind me, you see it says a review if I'm a healthy believer then, and here's what I'll tell you, we surrounded that with, then I am like Jesus. If I'm a healthy believer, then I am like Jesus. Now, we start to unpack that, and it's written on your bulletin. If you want to take the notes, we're going to go through it very quickly. If I'm a healthy believer, as you see up there, I love God completely. Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, and he said, Love the Lord God with all your heart. That would be the very core of your being. 
soul, the depth of your being, mind, the intellectual part of your being, and strength, the physical part of your being. I believe Jesus, in quoting the whole Testament, took in the whole man and said we have to love him completely. And we made the and we made the parallel that if you love somebody, you spend some time with them. Which brings us to number two. Not only do I love God completely, but I spend time in prayer. You see, prayer is still the power base. And if you remember last week, I told you about some of the confusions in healthy churches today. We talk about what makes a healthy church. I found 18 lists out there to tell us what a healthy church is, and only two of them talk about prayer. And I declare to you, you will not ever be a healthy believer, and this church will not ever be a healthy church until prayer comes center stage. Number three, if I'm going to be a healthy believer, then I must love all people. For years in Mississippi, probably in Alabama too, hello, we love to sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of all the world. Now, here, we sang that, and it sounded really good. But you know what our actions said? Our actions said that we really meant Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world, white and white and white and white, they are precious in his sight. You know what? Jesus tells us to go to Samaria, to those places that we don't want to go, to love those people that we don't want to love, to love those people that are not like us. And if we are going to be healthy believer, prejudice and pride has to be laid aside, and we have to love all people. Number four, we have to love God's Word in His church. His Word has to be center stage, has to be textbook of our life. The church has to command. I want to say that again. The church has to command our allegiance, our consistency. We need to be able, the church family needs to be able to count on us. When the doors are open, we need to be here. When the time comes for us to do missions, and we're going to take a mission trip, July 21st, you'll be hearing more about it in days to come. We need to be pronto, front and center, if at all possible. You know why we need to love the church? Because Jesus loved the church enough that he died for her. And he died for her so that he could present her holy and spotless, without spot and without wrinkle. Now, we talked about that, how you women won't send your husbands out with spot and wrinkles on their clothes. So why would we allow our lives to become a spot or wrinkle in the church? We have to love God's Word and love His church. Number five, we have to be ready to tell the story. I cannot imagine being lifted out of the pits of hell and not ready to tell the story at a moment's notice. And number six, be willing to serve others. Now, if you want to be a healthy believer, there they are. But now I want to give you a flash bulletin. Please listen. Please listen or you'll miss it. It is my belief that every authentic believer in Christ Jesus desires to be healthy. It's there. I just, I want to be healthy. I don't want to be sick. And yet... We are kind of like Paul. In the seventh chapter of Romans, do you know what he said? Do you remember what he said? He said, the things that I don't want to do, that's what I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. Now, why is that? What causes that? I submit to you that it could be strongholds. Satan has wormed and worked his way into our lives to where he's got that 
machine gun this, that power base of operation, and he can just pull our strings at any time, make us do just what he wants us to do. You see the scripture on the screen? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to read just a couple of verses and see what the Bible has to say. Would you stand with me as we read together? Paul writes, For although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in fleshly way, in a fleshly way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us enough that you don't leave us in a place that we can't get out of. We thank you that when we walk through the valley, that you are walking with us. We thank you that when Satan tries to take hold of our lives, that you offer us a way overcome. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I begin this morning with bad news and good news. The bad news is, if you are alive on planet Earth, you are in a war. If you are alive and on planet Earth, you're in a war. The worst news is, is that if you're a believer and believe in Christ Jesus and you're alive on planet Earth, you're on the front line. Now, the good news is that Jesus has already won the war if we trust him. But the bad news is most of us don't realize the war is over. And the worst news is we tend to want to not believe it, accept it, agree with it, or admit it that we're in a war. And that's kind of like stepping into a boxing ring with a uh, um, heavyweight champion and thinking you're not going to fight. Now, if you're going to be in that ring, he's going to clean your clock if you do not either put up your dukes or hightail it out of there. So this morning, I want to talk to us about this thing of strongholds. Now, admittedly, most of us as Baptists don't want to talk about strongholds. For some reason, George... We have relegated it to our Pentecostal brethren. And we said, that's something of, quote, charismatic. And you know my feeling about that term. That's something of charismatic flavor. Let's leave that with them. And you know what? While we have been ignoring the truth that Satan is alive and working like a uh, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, he's been devouring all of us because we haven't been on our guard. So... What I don't do, what I don't want to do, that's what I do. And what I do want to do, that's what I don't do. What is that all about? Well, the Bible says it's a stronghold. I want us to think about that in the moments to come. And if you look on the back of the bulletin, we're going to look at four thoughts together concerning these strongholds. The first one is the definition. What exactly is a stronghold? Well, if you remember that machine gun nest that we began with, it is a place of fortification. It is a power base. It is a base of operation 
Literally, the scripture uses the word stronghold, and the Greek means a castle or a tower. Now, for this Alabama football-loving bunch, let me tell you what a stronghold is in football terms. It's home field advantage. It's a place where Satan can get in your life, and he can, and he can wreak havoc. And it don't necessarily have to be a place that's a sin. In fact, a lot of times, Satan uses something really good in your life, and he turns it into a stronghold. For instance, men, you want to earn a living for your family. But the more you work, the more money you make. So the more you work and the more money you make and the more you ignore the things you need to ignore. Perhaps maybe, uh, uh, perhaps maybe you're a good speaker and you're a good talker. And yet the more you talk, the more negative you get, the more mean-spirited you get. And then it becomes malicious gossip. And now Satan has taken something good. And now he has worked it into your life where he can work without any, he, he just moves around freely in your life. Can you think of something in your life that maybe could be a sin to start with? Or it could be something good, and you know that every time you get into that area of your life, Satan is taking it, and he's working it, and he's working no good. But how does that happen? Well, let's move to the development. How does a stronghold develop in our lives? How does it come about? Well, I will suggest, there, it seems to me that from each individual that it develops a different way, but I will tell you two specific ways that are very general. Number one is voluntary. Number two, number one is voluntary. Number two is involuntary. A stronghold works in your life voluntarily when you make a conscious decision against the Word of God that we just talked about that you have to love. If you ever heard yourself saying these words, I know what the Bible says, but what I believe is you have just opened, the, you've opened a door and given an entree to Satan in your life because you have said, I know what God says, but I know better. And Satan goes, you're right. I mean, Satan uses the same thing on you he used on Eve. Did God really say? And all of a sudden, because we're making our own rules, Satan begins to plant his power base, his power structure. Anytime we make that decision to do something different than what Christ has called us to do, it's told us to do, we have opened the door for Satan to walk in voluntarily. Now, there are times that Satan moves into our lives involuntarily. You know what he does? He just, he's a sly old fox. You do know that, don't you? And he'll work his way right into your thought life. And, all, and do you remember in days past I told you about how a habit develops, a thought, consideration, action, attitude, attitude action, and habit? You think about it. When you first think about it, you dismiss it. And then, and then Satan plants that bad thought in your mind again, and so you consider it. And as you consider it, that time you, you may dismiss it again. He plants it. It gets there again. When it gets that level again, all of a sudden your attitude changes. You go, well, maybe it's not as bad as what the preacher says, what the Sunday school teacher says, what the youth leader said. Maybe it's not that bad at all. And so you try it. So now you've got the thought, consideration, 
attitudes changed, and so now you try it. Action. And you try it one time, nobody gets hurt. Oh, you know, who knew? I mean, it's all okay. So you try it again and again and again and again, and pretty soon it becomes a habit. And habit comes full birth, gives us a lifestyle, and that gives Satan an entree into our lives. Brother Jerry, I don't know about that. Well, think about this. What about the 12-year-old in school takes their first sip of alcohol? No harm, no foul. They weren't hurt. They're not driving. No big deal. Until five years later, when that 12-year-old is now a 17-year-old drinking alcohol out of their locker because they don't think they can do without it. They're a full-blown alcoholic at 17 years old. Or what about the 13-year-old girl allowed to to, uh, date way too early? And so she begins to date and get in these situations that she's really emotionally not ready to handle. And so the kissing and cuddling doesn't become enough because sin is progressive. And so pretty soon she winds up being immoral and maybe with an unwanted pregnancy or maybe with an STD or maybe with AIDS or maybe even an abortion. And you see, when our young people get that in their lives, Satan now has that power base, that, that, that stronghold to work in their lives. And what about the middle-aged man or woman divorced? all of a sudden thrust into a situation of being all alone. Having a marital relationship for many years and now all alone, and all of a sudden they feel like if somebody pays me some attention, I'll become immoral with them. It'll be okay. And Satan has the power base to work in life. Brother Jerry, I'm not sure that that Satan can get that kind of power on a believer. Oh, is that right? You see, when we open the door and let him in, he can do a lot of things. I do not believe that David set out to be a lustful, adultering murderer. All he did was he surrendered that part of his life of not being where God called him to be. At a time when all kings went off to war, David remained behind. All he did was not go where he was supposed to go, not do what he was called to do. He was out of position, out from under the umbrella of God's protection, and Satan was waiting right there to plant a stronghold in his life. Samson had a passion like we don't understand, a passion for passion, I might add. And it wound up getting him killed. Rich young ruler made it easy. He wasn't a believer because he wanted to hang on to his money. You see, the way something, way Satan develops a stronghold in your life is you just kind of creak the door open. When you creak the door open in your life by disobedience, either making a choice or just allowing your guard to go down, Satan will move in and take over. And he will plant that stronghold, and all of a sudden you'll be like, You'll be like Paul, and you'll go, you know what? I really don't want to do this, but somehow I can't seem to get away from it. So how do we detect if there is a stronghold in our life? How do we detect if there is a stronghold in our life? Well, you know, we must we must do some evaluation. Go ahead, Alicia. 
First of all, you may ask, why do we have to detect it? Why? If you don't already know this, and I'm going to trust that you do, Satan, who prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, is the thief we read about in John 10.10 last week. It says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. If you have let Satan into your life, all he's going to do is he is going to steal your joy. He's going to kill your peace. He's going to destroy your witness. He's going to steal your hope. He's going to kill your happiness. And he's going to destroy every good relationship because that's what he's all about. How do we detect? How do we detect? strong love. Well, I could preach all these things to you and keep you here to 1230 or 1 o'clock. I really thought that I, wanted, that I wanted to give you some things for you to see what could be a stronghold. Alicia, let's give them that chart. Fear, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, apathy, unbelief, depression, anxiety, sinful thoughts, lust, Pride, greed, drugs, alcohol, or pornography. Wow. And you say, Brother Jerry, all of these could be strongholds. Well, sure. Let's just take just a couple. How about resentment, bitterness, and unforgiveness? You know what happens? You, un- you don't forgive somebody. You harbor unforgiveness in your heart. So the resentment begins to build. And the bitterness takes over. So bitterness is three levels deep. And the Bible says, let no root of bitterness grow up in you. When you have bitterness, you'll see everything through the eyes of the negative part. When you have bitterness, there'll be no way to see what God's doing in your church, in your life, or around you. When Satan has you by the throat... In one of these areas, and there are many more, this is just a small list. All of a sudden you find yourself unhappy. And I've told you this before, misery loves company. So if you're going to be miserable, you're going to try to make everybody around you miserable. When I think about strongholds, I'm reminded of two weeks ago when my friend Lee Thomas was here talking to us about prayer. And he told me something revolutionary. He told me about a church in in his past who had had a leadership failure. And he said, I went there and for two years, he said, the church was dead as a hammer spiritually. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. He said, and I prayed every day and finally God revealed to me that this church had strongholds in it. And he said it was four specific strongholds. And he told me how God, through some other things, affirmed to him. You know what those four strongholds were? Confusion. He said because of the past leadership failures, the church was confused about who was really to lead the church. They were confused about the mission of the church. They were confused about who they could trust. 
And they were confused about their future. They're confused. He said the second stronghold in that church was a stronghold of rebellion. Every time something happened, there was a rebellion against leaders, against lay people, against each other. He said it was almost like it was born in rebellion and it lived in rebellion. He said the third stronghold in that church was apathy. He said, now look, don't, don't, mis, don't misconstrue. He said they were real concerned that everything got done their way, but when it comes to spiritual matters, they were real apathetic about it. They talked a good game, but they really didn't care whether people got saved or not. You heard Lee Thomas talk about praying for people getting saved. That's his passion. should be all of our passions. He said they were apathetic about it. He said the fourth one that we found in that church that God revealed to me was immorality. You know, I'd never heard, George, about churches having strongholds. But as he related it to me and I began to pray about it, I look back over my career in the ministry and know that what he was saying is true. You see, strongholds have a devastating impact, not just on you individually, but on the church. So, we've defined a stronghold as that power base of operation where Satan can work in our lives and in our church. How do they develop? Well, they develop voluntarily and involuntarily. And they're progressive. They get larger. How do we detect them? We had to put the magnifying glass of God's Word up there. And the last thing is the destruction. How do we destroy them? I go back to God's Word. He says, Yeah, we walk in the flesh, but we do not wage war in a fleshly way. Because the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God, through the demolition of strongholds. That word powerful, that means able. That means possible. That means it can be done through God. The word demolition. In the old King James, is pulling down. Another one is tearing down. Another one is destroying. Here's what I will tell you about a stronghold. Are you listening? A stronghold is just just that. And you will not get rid in your life nor in this church of a stronghold accidentally or incidentally or easily. You think the word demolition, you know what I thought? You know what I thought word it was going to be? I thought it was going to be the word we get the dynamite from. Where you literally have to blow it up, blow it out. Because when Satan takes hold... He's not going to turn loose easily. So, Brother Jerry, give me, some, give me some things to put my hands on that will help me demolish this stronghold. Well, if you look at the end of the verse, it says that we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know what? One day I was reading that and it jumped out at me. Take every thought captive. Man, I'm one of those, as you know, that my mind runs, it's terrible. It's like it's wired for 110, plugs into 220, and goes crazy all the time. And so if I'm going to take it captive, I have to control what it does. Let me give you three thoughts, three thoughts of what to do. Number one, 
says, look away. Look away. Brother Jerry, what are you talking about? Well, please listen. If you've not listened the rest of the day, listen now. Jesus raised the level of sin, particularly lust, particularly adultery, from the physical act to the looking. Now, we can say that it's lust when we say look away, but it can be anything that holds its sway over you. When you start to do that double take, it could be your pocketbook. It can be your schedule. It can be a person of the opposite sex. It can be how you talk. It can be how you think, whatever it is. When you're tempted to look there the second time, when you're tempted to see it as evil, look away. It's an easy thing. Ah, but it's not so easy in your own strength. Second thing I suggest to you is cut it out. Now, I'm not talking about cut it out like stop it, although that would apply. I'm talking about cut it out of your life. The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh. Let me give you an for instance. I read in a sermon this week of a married man who was having trouble with pornography on the Internet. You know what he did? He cut off his Internet. Brother Jerry, can anybody live without the Internet? We did before. Now, in case anybody thinks I'm anti-Internet, there's a lot of good things out there. There's a lot of good things out there. But there's a lot of garbage out there. And it don't happen to have to be the Internet. You want to know? Perhaps, perhaps every time something new happens in and around you, your first thought, is to have something negative to say about it. We, in fact, we could have 20 people saved this morning, and you'd walk in going, well, they're the wrong kind of people. You know who that is? That's Satan working in your life. Cut it out. Don't give any provision to it. Don't give him any airtime in your life. And you know how you'll do that? That's number three is going to sum it up. Guard your Here's what I will tell you. Proverbs tells us that understanding will guard your heart. Philippians tells us that it's the peace that passes all understanding that will guard our heart. So that tells me when I put those together that we need to have an understanding of what God wants for our life. We have a clear understanding of what God wants for our life. We start focusing on what God wants for our life instead of what we want. Satan's going to be left in our wake. Now, some of us have some severe strongholds today. First stronghold that comes to my mind is that stronghold of unbelief. And actually, it could be of belief. Because you see, Satan has convinced you. Are you listening? Satan has convinced you that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that you're saved and you're going to heaven. In fact, he's convinced you that all you had to do was walk down an aisle, take a preacher by the hand, walk through the baptistry, and you're good as gold. What else is there? That's exactly what Satan is going to tell you. And please listen. The lie of Satan is going to send many people from the pew to the pits of hell. Because it is only when we come by faith 
and find the forgiveness of our sin in Him. And then we begin a relationship with Him. It is only in that instance that we're saved from hell. My fear as a pastor, as I look back over all the congregations on all the Sunday mornings that I've preached, my fear is that there will be people in those congregations that miss heaven and make hell because somehow I did not make an impassioned plea enough to call you from your point of unbelief to believe in Christ Jesus where your life is changed. Too many of us reformed our lives without letting Christ transform our lives. Now, what did you just say, Brother Jerry? Too many of us changed our behavior and we didn't let Christ change us on the inside. And that's a stronghold that it's going to take the power of God to break. Some of us have strongholds concerning all kind of things. Concerning our Selfish, narcissistic way, concerning our tongue, concerning our attitude, can be any of a hundred things. And Satan's worked his way in there, and now every time he wants to get something stirred up, he just stirs you up. There are some of you that's been struggling with strongholds. You really want to get rid of it, and somehow you can't. Admit it and ask for help. Let me end with this story. January 1990, I was in Houston, Texas on a music conference. It was on a Saturday night. It's where God called me to preach. I sat in my hotel room reading the Bible and God called me to preach. One year later, I was back in Houston for that same music conference. And I got to spend a little time with my hero in the faith, Dr. John Bassanio at First Baptist Houston, Texas, in the pastor's suite. That morning, that Sunday morning, Henry Blackaby was preaching. And that 5,000-seat worship center that they filled twice on Sunday morning, at the second service, when Henry gave the invitation, Big John and all his staff was down on the floor, and people began to come. And I'll never forget it. I'm sitting back about the sixth row back there, and I am struggling with something in my life that I know God's got to get a hold, got, get, got to get rid of. It's a stronghold. And I'll never forget, lady came down. This is the type of church that First Baptist is or was. And he spoke to her a second. And he looked at the massive crowd, and he said, This woman has been abused by her husband. He's left her. She doesn't know where to go. Would some of you ladies come pray with her? And from all over that worship center, about 15 or 20 ladies came and they knelt and prayed with her. He moved over to this man. He said, this man's just lost his job for no real good reason. And he's struggling about what tomorrow will bring. Would some of you men come and pray with him? And from all over that 5,000 seat worship center, men came and they knelt with him. Put their hands on him and prayed on him. Nobody ashamed. Nobody concerned. And it went on like that. And I'm still sitting back there struggling. And finally he said, let me pray for everybody who hasn't come that needs to come. And this is what he said. I prayed this prayer many times as a pastor because it had such an impact on me. He said, Lord, he said, thank you for these folks who come clean before you today. Thank you for those who have turned loose of those strongholds and those difficulties in their lives. 
But Lord, I sense there's someone in this, at least one person in this congregation that has been struggling for months with something. And they simply do not have the wherewithal to turn it loose. Listen, he nailed me. I don't know if anybody else was there. Have you ever felt like the preacher was preaching to you? He said, he said, Lord, if they don't have the strength to turn it loose, I pray that you'll take it from them. Please listen. I felt a sense of release that day like I've never felt before or since because God answered the prayer and the stronghold was lifted. What is your stronghold today? It's keeping you from being a healthy believer and keeping this church body with spot and wrinkle in it. Whatever it is, give it to the Lord today. Pray with me.